Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? Mary Coughlin is one of the great voices of jazz and blues, a legend in her home of Ireland and a favourite whenever she takes to the road here in Australia. It's been a while between mic checks because of the pandemic, but Mary's back in Australia for a run of dates and she's my guest here on RN Drive. Mary, welcome to you. Well, it's really nice to be back. Thanks very much. And it's lovely to be here in the studio. Really, really nice, yeah. You grew up with music around you, which can't be too unusual considering your country of origin. But the idea of taking it professional wasn't really part of your plans early on. So what changed? When did you realise this could be your path in your career? Um, I, had a, I had a friend uh, called Eric Visser. He moved to Ireland in 1979 and he's, uh, he came to study classical, or he claimed to study Irish music. He was a classical guitarist and um, I just became friends with him. Um, he eventually married a friend of mine and we used to hang around together. I got knocked down by a car when I was six months pregnant with my first daughter. Oh, no. And I broke my pelvis and he used to come to the hospital every day because he was the only person who was in Ireland and was, you know, doing gigs at night. And only person in Galway that I knew he wasn't working. He used to come to the hospital and he used to sit there and he used to play the guitar. And I used to hum along and sing along, any old thing at all, you know. So um, he wrote a piece of music for my daughter. It was called Aoife when she was born. Three months later, I spent three months in hospital. Wow. And she was born perfect, a uh, little baby. And he wrote a piece of music for her. And he went back to uh, Holland and he put it on his album. It was the first track on his first album. And it sold about six million copies. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so um, he went on the road all over uh, Australia. I think he was here. Um, he was done in Indonesia a lot. He was big in Japan. And then he went on to South America. He was huge all over, you know, Europe as well. And he had a band called Flerik, which means hands in, um, in, in Dutch. And uh, he was, for years he was gone. And when he came back to Ireland in 1983, he said, we should really do something um, together, you know, because, you know, I would like to do that. And I had three children at that stage. And um, I said, OK, well, I, I'm game for anything. And uh, we recorded an album in a small studio in Galway, where I live. This is Tired and Emotional, which I think is yeah. the most amazing uh, name for, especially since you had <laughs> three children, something that can very much uh, I know, yeah. vouch And for. it cost us £1,700 to make, <laughs> and it went on to sell um, a good few hundred thousand al uh, albums, um, probably a million now. And um, that was um, that was the start of it. I'd never been in a studio. I'd never sung in public. But, um, yeah, it was uh, kind of... Uh, I got to like it really quickly. <laughs> So, so it sounds to me like music that in that first experience of you being in hospital, that sort of creation of that first song was very much linked to the birth of your first child. Something very intimate and 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 private, but also this kind of hate tragedy of being hit by a car. I mean, there's probably no more fertile emotional flower bed to grow songs in, really, is there? Well, it's just that he and I became really, really close. And I, and I don't know if it was that time that we, you know, no, I, I've known Eric all, you know, since I, I was only 19 then. I've known him since then. I'm 66 now. And um, he has written and produced for me, um, I think, 13 of my 16 albums. And he has uh, really advanced park. He's one of the greatest guitar players I've ever met in my life. And he is in the world. And... Um, the most amazing produ producer and his arrangements are, you know, all the albums are there, you know, uh, and he has really uh, advanced Parkinson's disease now. 
So I went to see him in Holland just before I came over on tour. And, um, you know, um, he's, uh, it was, I don't know, it's just, we just have this kind of bond that transcends friendship. And, and it's, it's because of music, you know. Do you write with him? Did you write with him when you visited him? <laughs> this time around? Yeah. No, no, no. But we did it when he, when he was, when he was, his Parkinson's was quite advanced in 2012, 2013, we recorded and wrote an album together in my house. And um, it's called Scars on the Calendar. And it's probably the most painful thing I've ever had to do because he would have to stop and, um, and, and take breaks a lot. And he was still playing at that stage and he was playing incredibly. And it's the album is there, you can hear it. But he would take, you know, dopamine tablets to stop the, sh- you know, the trembles and stuff. And and I remember one night um, it was snowing. I, I've never shared this before and I don't know why you're making me do it now. You're not making me do it. It's just because I feel um, I've just been thinking about it. I we, It was snowing really hard in Ireland and we were actually snowed in for three days. And um, I just went outside and lay down on the snow and I just cried for about, you know, an hour. And I could not be consoled because of what was what was going on, you know, because um, I knew there would come a time when we wouldn't be able to work together anymore. And that really, um, I, I mean, I had to, I think that was when I knew we wouldn't, you know, work anymore. And uh, I've done two albums since um, and I'm working on a really huge project at the moment. And... Um, it's, it's something that P, uh, Lieber and Stoller wrote in the 60s. Um, it's an, an entire uh, an entire 11 song thing that's never been released. I'm in contact with Lieber, uh, with uh, Peter Stoller, uh, who's the son of Mike Stoller, who wrote all the songs. <coughs> and he said, it's um, this is going to be great for Eric to get his teeth into. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, he said, he's going to bring out a whole different side of it, w- which is what they really wanted in the first place. And I had to tell him that uh, I wouldn't be doing it with Eric. And... Uh, so there you go. So now, uh, yeah. so yeah, uh, music transcends um, everything, you know. Yeah. I can really hear that you wear your heart on your sleeve and that can be difficult when you have to say goodbye and still make music and have those touchstones of people that you have to say goodbye to. I do want to ask you about Billie Holiday. Back in 2000, you recorded a double disc album of her songs. Why, why Billie Holiday? Did you see much in her, in yourself, or was it something more musical to you? Oh, look, I was living in London and uh, Diana Ross made the movie. Do you remember Lady Sings the Blues? Yeah. And I went to see it in the middle of a really hot afternoon uh, in Shepherd's Bush Theatre in London. And I had never heard of Billie Holiday. I was 17. Um, I had never heard of Billie Holiday. And um, that was a Friday afternoon. Um, I had just finished working and... uh, I went down Portobello Market the next day, which is a place where you, you buy a lot of old albums. And I found three uh, Billy Holiday records and I still have them. One of them was Lady in Satin. Mm. And that one in particular affected me more than any of the others because it, she was coming to the end of her life, even though she was only in her 40s. And there was something in her voice that I didn't even know at the time, but as you probably know, I'm a recovered an alcoholic and a drug addict for 29 years now. And um, she that's where she was at that time in her life. She was at the end, almost at the end of her life. And 
I didn't know it, and obviously I, I came to know it. Um, so what was it? Was it pain that you heard in her voice? Pain, yeah, pain. Mm. Yeah, really a lot of pain. <laughs> and I, I did know the pain because I had had a history of abuse and everything in, in my childhood. But at that stage, I hadn't talked about it. I wrote a book about it, and I wrote um, a modern opera um, about it with an a Icelandic composer called Valger Sigurdsson. It's called Woman Undone. And uh, he wrote it for five voices, the music, and I wrote the, I wrote the songs and the the words, and uh, it's all out there. <laughs> it's all out there, and I don't do it with any um, reason other to say that this this happens, and you know it still happens. We're going through another um, whole heap of scandals in Ireland at the moment, uh, from the two you know the two biggest private schools, the poshest and most privileged schools in Ireland going back to, you know, the early 1900s and one by one, everyone is coming out and, um, same yeah, old yeah. story really, isn't same it? Same old story, Sad, but it's sadly, sadly, it's mm. the same old story. So, you know, um, I can't remember what you asked me now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. I don't know what I was saying anyway. Uh, uh, I will say though, uh, you're listening to RN Drive. I'm Andy Park. Mary Coughlin is my guest and she's in the studio. She's, uh, warmed up, ready to play a song. You've chosen Let It Be Me. Tell me about this song. Okay, so um, my my mother and I had a strange relationship, and um, but however, um, towards the last ten years of her life, I I made peace with both my parents. I took them off to Venice, and because uh, I was doing gigs, and to Rome and Florence, and I took them with me on tour. And they'd never been. My father had never been outside Ireland, so it was just like he was like a small child. He was so excited, <laughs> <clears throat> and and I realised at that moment I had to let to be able to love them. I had to let all the stuff go, you know. And I remember putting them on a train uh, to Galway, and I I ran back onto the train and I told them I loved them. I'd never ever done that in my life before. And my mother died uh, a short time later, and I was driving back from Galway to Dublin and my kids were in the car and a song came on the radio by Ray LaMontagne and uh, it's called Let It Be Me. And I just you know, probably cried for about two hours and my daughter who was 12 at the time, Claire, wrote down the name of the album and bought it to me for Christmas. <laughs> and uh, I, I recorded it um, for my mother. What a special, special meaning that has for you. Mary Coughlin is here on RN Drive. And here is Let It Be Me. There comes a time A time in everyone's life When nothing seems to go your way When nothing seems to turn out right There may come a time You just can't seem to find your place And for every door you open It seems you get too slammed in your face That's when you need someone And you just can't 
Let It Be Me by Mary Coughlin. She's in the studio this afternoon here on RN Drive. Beautiful, beautiful stuff, Mary. Thank you. Uh, I do want to ask you, you referenced earlier, you know, your recovering alcoholism and substance abuse. And I do want to just ask, uh, without getting, you know, into things you don't want to talk about, but when you did stop drinking, how did you find a way to handle the pressure? Did you, was it, I mean, it's probably cliche to say it's the music, right, or the writing, but, but, but was it? Well, I thought I would never, ever do a gig again because, I mean, especially uh, all the, the, the drugs we did, I did, sorry, in, in the 90s, um, a lot of uh, a lot of drugs, cocaine mostly. Um, I was drinking three bottles of vodka a day, you know, when I was on tour and, and uh, I just thought I could never, ever, ever do a gig again without all of all of that stuff, you know. But I uh, went to recovery and um, I, I, I took several months off. I went through a six week program that was really tough. And um, I started to work with a woman one to one and every Tuesday night in the group. And a year later, I said, OK, I, I, I they, they ask you when you come out of the Rutland Centre not to make any huge decisions for a year or two years even. And so I had said I would never sing again. And she said, don't say that. So a year later, I said, I'm ready to go back on the road. And I surrounded myself with musicians 
uh, who were the finest and the most sober uh, also. <laughs> that that I must knew. be a bit of a challenge to find amongst <laughs> no, the cohort. There were a, a couple of dear friends who'd been through the same thing that I had been through, um, you know, some, some years earlier. And we just, you know, we went on the road on our own. We picked up the car at the airport and we drove around England for 10, 14 days or whatever. We went to America. We just I went all over and uh, we just we just started. I just didn't want anybody else involved, like no managers. I stopped. I, I didn't have any management. I had good agents in several countries and we just went off, you know, and that was it. That was uh, on my terms. And um, and that's kind of the way we do it now, too. So, so I still do that. Yeah. Uh, last month, you organised a fundraiser concert for victims of the Syrian and uh, as well, the, the earthquake that affected Syria and Turkey. How did that go? Uh, what made oh, you get involved stop. in that? Um, there's a woman in Ireland, her name is Anna O'Rourke, and um, she uh, went to uh, Greece uh, years ago, you know, when the kids started getting washed up on yes, the beach. And I business. did a couple of concerts and, and she was there um, on, on, on the ground uh, at the time. And later she went to work in a Syrian refugee camp and she's been in the same place for six years on her own. And she only does small. I had never heard of her until like a month ago. And she does small, she's from Waterford in Ireland. She does small uh, fundraising events from the local schools and people send her some money and it goes a long way. And she was on the radio talking about uh, how in the earthquake um, she had 3,000 people, women and children only, that she looked after. And then all of a sudden she had 26,000 people and one woman who walked. She doesn't know where she came from. But she had a four day old baby and everybody else in her family had died. And I rang the radio station and she just said she needed money. You know, you can't she wasn't getting any of the aid into the Syrian refugee camp that was, you know, being distributed like um, by the huge agencies because they just can't go there, you know. Mm. So uh, she said she needed money and um I rang the radio station and I asked them to give her my number and she phoned me straight away. And within a week, um, we had a concert with the finest musicians in Ireland organised in a huge theatre in Galway. Went back down to Galway for it. And we raised an awful lot of money, uh, which is winging its way to her right now. Wow. And uh, it's just like, musicians are like... They never say no when you ask them to do they something. They never do. And, you know, <laughs> you know, in this country, at least, musicians are often maligned as, you know, not paying tax. But they are always the first people to pull in, uh, pull their hand into their pocket or organise a benefit. It happened here during the floods and the fires yeah. as well. I know people who did it here, yeah. Mm. So we, we, I, I asked everybody and um, 98% of the people said yes. And the only reason the other two didn't is because they weren't around, you know. So it was like unbelievable. It was a five-hour concert, and pe- we did it online as well. And people sent donations on. One person donated eight thousand euros to her fund wow. straight away. Like wow. you know, I mean, it was just this. It was because of her honesty on the radio, and you know, I just, I just had this affinity. I don't know what it was, you know. Anyways, I did it, and then I got up the next morning and I came to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I drove back to Dublin and went to the airport, and, and here I am. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. Here you are. Well, thank you for your honesty on the radio this afternoon, Mary. It's been great to hear a bit of your life story. In fact, your latest album is called Life Stories. Mary Coughlin's on tour across Australia throughout March and April. Check online for details. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank guest. you so much. Thank you very much.
You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.